Hi, my name is Beth Tappan. I'm the Women's Ministry Coordinator here at King's Cross, and you're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. Well, um, I should introduce myself. Uh, My name's Chip, if you don't know me. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Glad that you are with us. If you're brand new, we are working our way through the entire Bible this year. Um, I, I can't imagine a greater time to kind of jump into what it is that God is doing here. We're really excited about it. hope you will be too. To this point in the story, um, w- what we've seen is that God created everything that is, that he created it good, that mankind's response to that good creation was rebellion. We, we took up arms against our creator. We trusted ourselves more than we trusted him. And our sin shattered the paradigm of God's good creation. God's response to our rebellion was grace. He makes a promise that he is going to send someone uh, to defeat our enemies. He's going to send a redeemer. He makes this covenant with all creation. And then Last week, we looked at the very famous story of Noah and the ark, and what we saw there was that um, no matter how deep man's sin plummeted into the depths of depravity, that God was faithful to keep his covenant. We see that in Genesis 6 through 8. And so this morning, our understanding of the covenant faithfulness of God is going to expand even more as we see this biblical truth that's in your notes if you like to follow along. And if you're somebody who's missing um, any of the inserts, maybe for your binder, we have some at the welcome desk there. But it's this biblical truth that God's covenant plans are worked out through a covenant people. God's covenant plans work out through a covenant people. Noah and his family get off the ark um, to effectively start things over again. But the pattern of human sin, and we saw this last week, it continues despite this kind of fresh start. And the, the cacophony of human sin crescendos in Genesis 11 when all of the technological knowledge of mankind kind of comes together with the hubris and the vanity of mankind, and the people decide to build a city with a tower that will reach into the heavens so that they can make a name for themselves. If you're following along in the devotional plan, you read all of that this week. It's in Genesis 11:4. This is their plan. And God looks down on it and says, we're not having that. And he had already promised to Noah in his covenant that he was never again going to destroy mankind because of sin. And so rather than that ultimate penalty of destruction, what God does is he confuses the language of the people and he scatters them over the face of the earth. And then in Genesis 12, yet again, God is going to bring life and hope out of chaos, just like he had in Genesis 1 and just like he had in Genesis 8 after 
the flood. And just like Noah, uh, like God had started initially with Adam, and then he had started over again with Noah, so too he starts over again with a man named Abram, who he'll come to call Abraham. But this time, the, the hope of redemption is not going to rest on any one man like Adam or even on any one family like Noah and the eight people in his family who were on the ark. This time, God's covenant plans involve an entire covenant people. What we see in the story of Abraham is that as the father of this people, They'll be called Israel at first, and then later Jesus will call them the church. As the father of this people, Abraham will embody three characteristics of this covenant people through whom God's covenant plans will unfold. The first characteristic is this. They will be a people who go. They'll be a people who go. Look with me at Genesis 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, to this point in the story, all we really know about Abram is his lineage. It's his family tree. He is the great-great-grandson to the 19th power of Adam. Right, so there's 19 dads, 19 generations between uh, Abram and Adam. But practically speaking, biblically, his, his biblical biography begins here in Genesis 12.1 with this call to go. And it's a call to go from his country and his, his kindred, kind of like this um, extended tribal family group, and his father's household. So from... From everything. He has to separate himself from the world, if you will, of Genesis 11. He has to separate himself from the land of Babel, literally the geography, his country. He has to separate himself from the people who, who lived in and, and who lived like that city. He has to separate himself from that way of thinking, from from thinking about how it is that he can make himself great, from, from thinking about how to make a name for himself, from assuming that the solution to mankind, mankind's deepest needs lay in unleashing mankind's greatest possibilities. This is what Babel represented. And he's got to leave all of that behind. He's got to make a break from that. He has to go wherever it is that God's going to tell him to go and do whatever it is that God's going to tell him to do. This is the original Great Commission. And it is every bit as expected of God's people today as it was of Abram in Genesis 12:1, Because the people of God are a people who go. God's going to bless Abram, but the blessing requires the going. There has to be a separation first, and then the blessing comes later. 
And so if you are a follower of Jesus or if you're someone who isn't yet, but you're considering that and you're exploring the claims of the Bible, you just know ahead of time that you have to be willing to go. At a bare minimum, you have to leave your old life behind. At a bare minimum, you have to do that. And Jesus in John chapter 3 and Paul in in Colossians chapter 3 say you have to die to your old life before you can walk in the newness of life that God has planned for you once you come to faith in Christ. You have to be willing to leave behind, as Hebrews 12.1 says, every weight and sin which clings so closely so that you can run a new race with endurance towards God and his call on your life. You can't stay in that life and live in the one that God has planned for you. You, you can't have a foot in both worlds to get the blessing of This new life, you have to leave that old life behind. You have to go from it at a bare minimum. You have to separate from your old life. For some of you, God may be calling you to go somewhere geographically, as he did Abram, maybe as a missionary or as a church planter. Maybe a move so that you can care for loved ones who are going to need you. Maybe a move to better align your lifestyle with your resources. Maybe a move to pursue opportunities that God wants you to step into. So you, It may, in fact, be geographical for some of you. For others, God, God may be calling you to go vocationally. This is what he did with me. My background's in the marketplace. I'm an accountant by training. Until God radically changed our life. And he called me to make a change vocationally. But for some of you, it may not be a a call into vocational ministry. It might just be that, you know, some of you need to make a vocational change because your influence has stalled. And God has bigger things planned for you. He's given you gifts that you're not able to use to their fullest where you are. And you just feel like maybe, maybe he's telling you it's time for something else. For some of you, you may be called to go missionally. Some of you need to see your spheres of influence that God has given you as opportunities to advance the gospel and to to shape those spheres of influence according to the gospel. And so you think about your home or your school or or your workplace or your neighborhood or your playgroup. All of those places are broken by sin, and God may be calling you to see that as an opportunity to bring the redemptive truth and power of the gospel into those places where you are every day. Brian talked about intersection, right? just a place where you don't have to add something to your life, just where you already are. You just need to have the spiritual eyes to be able to see that. Some of you need to have serious bold, risky, evangelistic conversations with somebody you know is close to you but far from God. And you know God's been telling you to go, to wade into that conversation. And something's holding you back. Some of you need to be willing to to go out of your comfort zone or, or out of your leisure time and just give a few hours a month to local outreach to remind your heart that the whole world isn't about you. 
And, and you feel like every time it comes up, you think, yeah, I should probably do that. And God's saying to you, you need to go do this. So you can say it however you want. If you consider the way that this prop, what am I trying to say, comes up in the New Testament, right? Come and follow me. Or, or you think about the Old Testament, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Or in John 4, right, we just talked about this, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. You will be my witnesses. Go and make disciples. Again and again and again, we see that the covenant people of God are a people who go. You say, well, pastor, I'd be willing to do that, but I don't really know what that looks like. I, I can't really see what the end game is there. Neither did Abraham. Listen to Hebrews 11.8. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go, to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went not knowing where he was going. What he knew was that God had called him to go. What he didn't know was where he was going. That's why it took faith. And the covenant plans of God work their way out through a covenant people who go. This has been crystal clear of God's people since Genesis 12. We are a people who go. Second characteristic of God's covenant people is that they are people who are a blessing. They're people who are a blessing. If we keep reading in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3 say this. This is God continuing to talk to Abram. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we lose this a little bit in translation, which is fine. That happens sometimes. It's not a big deal, but... There's actually two imperatives in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. Go and be a blessing. Both are imperatives in the way that they're written. So in the English, the be a blessing part in verses 2 and 3 can kind of sometimes seem like it was just a consequence of the going. And it is a consequence of the going, but it's also in the way that God says it to Abraham, it's an imperative, it's a command. And so they're connected. It'd be kind of like if you said to somebody, why don't you go outside and get some fresh air? Right? Why don't you come into my office and have a seat? It's two imperatives. It's just that the second depends on the first. Are you with me? Go, be a blessing. Well, <laughs> to do the second, you have to do the first. So don't miss this. The point of Abraham going was not that he would be blessed. It's that he would be a blessing. And so what God says to him is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go from your country, and I'll make you a great nation. I want you to go from your kindred, and all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. I, I want you to leave your father's house, and I'll make your name, your house, great. This is what God says to him. Now, next week, what we're going to see is that these promises, this blessing, 
It didn't come in the way Abraham thought it would. Like the path to get there wasn't nearly as wide and level and straight and well lit and and unopposed as what he thought it would be. We'll get there next week. For now, the point for you and for me is that if God has called you to himself, he intends for you to be a blessing to other people. This is a It's a fundamental shift in perspective for God's people because it forces you to get your eyes up off of you. Instead of leveraging the people around you to achieve your own goals, it forces you to look at the people around you and see how you can be a blessing to them. Instead of trying to keep up with other people around you, you can look at other people's success and rejoice because it's a blessing for them. Instead of evaluating your life, or maybe even instead of judging God on your wealth and your health and your happiness and your comfort and your popularity, you, you begin to think about things like influence and service or acts of mercy and generosity or the degree to which you're just being faithful with just the skills and the talents and the passions and the gifts that God has given you to be a blessing in the everyday places that you're already going to live, learn, work, and play every day. But, but that's a, it's a paradigm shift to think about it that way. And that don't hear, like this is not some utopian, hippy-dippy, feel-good spiritualism. This is orthodox Christianity. That's all this is. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. The problem for us, or the challenge for us as 21st century Westerners, is that it's also radically countercultural. Because you live in a world that is increasingly polarized and personalized. You, I don't care how old you are, we are living in a world that is increasingly catered, laser-focused on you. Every app on your phone, including where they show up on the home screen, what the picture behind them is, like all of it catered to you. Every streaming service on your TV, perfectly catered to you. Every ad that pops up on your internet, specifically catered to you. Every custom offer that you're pre-approved for that comes in your mailbox, it's all perfectly catered and customized for you. That is dangerous for your soul because it warps the way you view yourself and the way you view God. Friends, God did not create the world for you. He created it for him. And God is not redeeming the world for your glory. He's redeeming it for his glory. 
And if you view God like you view your phone as this tool that's really handy that you can customize to make your life easier and more enjoyable, you just personalize it to be the type of thing that you, you like you are missing it. Do not view God that way. He is not your phone. God's intention with you, just like with Abraham and all of God's covenant people since then, is that he wants to bless you, yes and amen, according to his covenant promises, so that you will be a blessing. And if God has called you to himself, then he is calling you to live your life in such a way that you bless the people around you with the gifts that you have, not with other people's gifts, you know, the Super Bowl's coming up in a week. Nobody's ever going to be gifted by watching me play sports. I wish they would have. That would have been great. <laughs> Not going to happen. Well, I just have to use my gifts and hope that it's a blessing to you. And you have to use your gifts to bless the people around you because that's what God's covenant people do. His plans work out through his people as they go and as they are a blessing. And third as they are a people who believe. So people who go, people who are a blessing, and there are people who believe. Genesis 13 and 14 describe Abraham's journey after God calls him to go. Genesis 15 records this um, ceremony that ratifies the covenant that God pronounced in Genesis chapter 12. So if you're following along with the reading plan, you will have read all of chapter 15, but let me just summarize it for you. Genesis 15 opens with God coming to Abraham in a vision, and Abraham's got questions. He says, for example, um, you said I was going to be a father of a great nation, but um, I'm getting on about 100, and I don't have any children. Might I make a suggestion? Your plan needs a little help. God says, no, it doesn't. I got it. And Abraham says, well, you know, you told me I was going to inherit this land. I don't know if you've been following along or not, but I'm a nomad. How am I supposed to know that I'm going to have any land? And God says, you want to know how? Let me explain it to you. So in this vision, God seals the covenant that he made with Abraham in Genesis 12 in a ceremony that is unbelievably bloody, but it's also really common in the ancient Near East. So what God tells Abraham to do, he says, I want you to go get a cow and a goat and a ram and two birds. Cut their body, kill them, cut their bodies in half, lay one half on this side and one half on that side so that there's kind of an aisle down the middle. That's bloody, right? And then Abraham's in this deep sleep, and God himself passes between the broken pieces of these animals. And the symbolism, again, this is ancient Near Eastern covenant ceremony stuff, the, the symbolism there is that if God breaks his covenant, he will become like the animals. 
That's the symbolism involved. I'm going to walk through here, and if I betray my covenant promises, then you can do to me what's been done to these animals. In the language of the day, God cut a covenant with Abram. Now, normally what would happen is, if you and I were going to enter into a covenant together, we'd get some witnesses around. You know, we would sacrifice an animal, lay it open, and walk between both of us. Because there's two parties to the covenant, not in Abraham's vision. Only God. Only God walks through the middle. Only God binds himself to the promises of the covenant. And therefore, if the covenant is broken, only God himself will suffer the consequences of the covenant breaking. And that's exactly what he does on the cross. Jesus on the cross becomes sin and absorbs all of the penalties of the covenant-breaking people that he came to save. That's what's coming. But Abraham can't see all of that from his vantage point in Genesis 15. All Abraham can see is that he has this vision from God and he has these promises from God. And Genesis 15, 6 says this, But he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. The New Testament quotes that verse four times. It's a pretty important verse. Twice, Paul quotes it in Romans, um, and it's quoted in James and Galatians one time each. It is absolutely essential to the apostles' way of understanding what it means to be saved by faith. Abraham believed the promises of God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So it's belief in the promises of God, trusting in the promises of God. That's how Abraham got saved. That's how you and I get saved, too. Because the people of God are people who believe. This is the great contrast between Genesis 11 and Genesis 12, between the city of man, Babel, and the city of God, between those who would seek to justify themselves and those who are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The difference is that we are a people who believe, and in the end, it's all of the Christian life. Galatians 3.11 says, No one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Mark 1.15 summarizes the entire preaching ministry of Jesus this way. He said, Jesus came preaching. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent, leave behind, go away from, separate from this old way of thinking and this old way of living that you had and believe in the gospel. Believe in the promises of God. Trust in the Lord. The covenant plans of God are worked out through his people as they believe. So here's my question for you as we wrap up. One of our goals for you at King's Cross is that you grow in the gospel. If you're going to be growing in the gospel, if you're going to look back on 2023 and say, that was the year I grew, which of these three characteristics 
would you say you need to grow in the most? Which one of these needs to be more true of you next year than it is this year? Not that you're on zero with it, but you just need to grow in it. Maybe, maybe you're someone who needs to obey God's call to go. What's holding you back? Is it fear? Is it comfort, maybe? Like, what's keeping you from taking steps of faith away from whoever or, or wherever or whatever it is that God's calling you to leave behind? Something you need to confess? Maybe some commitment that you need to make. Do you, like Abraham, just need to put your yes on the table? And say, I, I don't even know what the question is yet, but my answer is yes. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Are you willing to do that? Or maybe you're someone who has, like you just know if you're honest with yourself that you have lived for yourself for far too long. And you know that like what you really need is a heart change, a perspective change, to be able to see and respond to the opportunities that God is giving you to be a blessing to others. And maybe that'll be in ways that, that those others, they don't even see. Maybe it's through dedicated, consistent, long-suffering prayer that you just labor in prayer for someone specific that God has, has put on your heart. Or maybe it's through an increased willingness to open your hands and be generous with your time, with, with your skills, with your finances. Maybe you need to be a blessing by giving that forgiveness that you've been holding back. Or by offering an apology that you've just been too proud. You just wouldn't do it. But you know it would bless that person if you, if you would just humble yourself enough to repent of that and, and begin the process of healing a broken relationship. Maybe it's just by being intentional to speak kindly to people or to give an encouragement. You know, like maybe you're someone who just sees good in people. They just need to hear it because you recognize it and, and you can use your words to lift up and to be a blessing. What might happen if you prayed every day that God would give you spiritual eyes to see the people around you that you need to be a blessing to that day? Just God, just show me. Just show me how to be a blessing, and I'll do it. My yes is on the table. I'll just do whatever you tell me to do. Or maybe maybe some of you are simply people who need to start believing that God is who he said he is, that Jesus did the things that he claims he did, that the gospel is true. Maybe you need to believe that the promises of God are actually for you because you believe them for other people, but not so much, not so much for you. 
Maybe you need to believe that the provision of God is enough for you. Or that the people of God actually love you. What, what would happen, how would your world change if you simply started actually believing what in your head you would acknowledge to be true? The things that we sing about and pray about and talk about in our grow groups and community groups and on Sunday morning. What, what it, how would your life change? How would our community change? If every one of us, as we scatter from here, you know, we, like we, we say this all the time, that like this is the most visible thing we do, but it's not the most impactful. Our ministry multiplies when we scatter. What might happen this week if all 200 whatever of us just went to be a blessing and we believed that God was going to use us? How might that impact our schools, our workplaces, our homes, our text threads, our social media feeds? What kind of impact might we have together if we, the covenant people of God, just believed we were part of the covenant plans of God? And we said, you know what? He's going to send us out. We're going to go. And we're going to be a blessing. I don't even know what that looks like yet. But we just believe that God's going to use us. He's going to use our church. That, that's, that's why we're here. That's what we're, we're going to do. Let's pray about that together. Father, like Abraham, we don't know exactly what you have planned for us. But I pray that as a church and as individuals that our yes would be on the table and we would be willing to go and do whatever it is. If that's radical life change, would you give us the courage to say yes? If it is simple obedience, would you give us the courage to say yes? If it's just mindfulness, kindness, would you give us a heart to just love each other and to love our neighbors the way that you loved us? There are so many things going on in your covenant with Abraham. Things that will ripple through the rest of your story. But we pray that you would make us a people who go. That we might be a blessing because we believe that you are working. In Christ's name. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.